Super Talk Mississippi media production. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews. Brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk 103.1 FM. Welcome to Coast View, uh, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coastal Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. Hope you're having a great Monday today, and uh, I want to thank you for listening on Super Talk 103.1. Some people watch us on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page. Are you maybe listening on your favorite podcast? However you choose to engage with this show, we really appreciate you doing so. Uh, the numbers continue to grow. Uh, our shows cont- continues to to establish itself as relevant in uh, in coastal Mississippi, and we appreciate that because you're you're paying attention, and uh, and that's really important. You know, if I go back in uh, the early days of Coastview, one of the goals was to have conversations with people who are making their their mark. Um, I've had so many incredible conversations with people like my former mentor at the Sun Herald, Roland Weeks, and. Uh, longtime community leaders like George Slogel and Jerry St. Pay, and uh, you know the the list really goes on and on. But along the way, I had a conversation with an old friend. I knew his father extraordinarily well, uh, David Ishi. He's an associate uh, justice for uh, for the Mississippi Supreme Court. He's got a great history as a lawyer and uh, and and as a judge. And uh, we had a great conversation. We visited about about how uh, Coastal Mississippi impacted him, sort of his path, and we got to re- learn a lot about him as a, as a person and a leader in this in in this state. Um, I'm really pleased today to have David Ishi back, Judge David Ishi back, with his friend Jack Saltarelli. And uh, the reason why we have them together today, and you'll learn a lot more about Jack here sh- shortly, but they collaborated on the book called. Uh, Bojack when loyalties collide. You know, I remember David when we talked before. You sort of mentioned that something was up about this book, but I had really no idea what it was about. And now that I've had the opportunity to to see it and read about what people are saying about it, it it sounds like it's one heck of a story. It is. It, it's fascinating. We've been working on this. I guess we started in the spring of. 2013. And uh, we finished, uh, it took us about two or three years to actually get it written. And then we shopped it around to a publisher for about a year. And then the publishing process was quite some, was quite interesting, very educational for me. It took us another year. And then we got delayed by about 14 months because of COVID. So we really should have been at the stage we are now about 14 months ago. So it's been quite a ride for over the last uh, decade, almost, or the last seven or eight years. Yeah, I read, you can tell me more about your publisher, but I read about your publisher. I'd never heard of that particular publisher, but it seems to me that given the number of manuscripts they take a look at, the but, the number of books that they help get to market, particularly on the retail side, especially in this digital age with all their books being digital format, um, the process seems incredibly rigorous and it probably was very helpful to you and Jack to help you get to a, a final you know, a published book that you're really proud of. It, it was. It was. It was excellent to get. Jack's the one who actually found Newman Springs. We had. We were shopping around, and uh, I never will forget. With my investiture to the Supreme Court, he came to me. They said, "I think I've got us a publisher," and I said, "That's awesome. Let, let's see what we can do." So the next week, we started exchanging phone calls, and then they called us back and said, "We like this. We want it," and uh, we just built from there. 
Well, Jack, you have a great story to tell. And as I mentioned to you off the air, when I was publisher for the last 15, 16 years of my career, I was always interested in those stories of redemption. But redemption is not always easy to come by, is it? No, it is. No, it is. You got to. You got to be firm. You got to you got to see where you want to go and just keep going. Yeah. So we're going to hear a little bit about your story um, here in just a second. But why don't we take a step back for a second, David? And why don't you tell me about how you became aware of Jack and his story? Well, I met Jack when I was a very young lawyer over in Pascagoula. I was practicing with my late father-in-law, Elmo Lang, and I started doing some criminal work. I had interned with the public defender's office and had never had any desire to do criminal defense, but I got interested in it. I'd actually gone to law school with the thought in the back of my head of going to the FBI. And uh, when my father-in-law offered me a job here on the coast, I came back and uh, I had met Jack and seen him around the courthouse from time to time. He was working for Thornton Bonding Company as a bail agent, bounty hunter. And uh, we struck up a friendship and we worked some together. He's done some private investigation and process for me, that sort of thing. And uh, it just went from there. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Well, you. Here's the thing about it, though. If you once you get to know his story, it helped. I mean, you. It helped you to get to know him better because you had to have confidence that it was really a true story of redemption. Certainly. And uh, like I said, our friendship goes back to about 1990, and so I've known him a long time. I didn't know his whole story. Um, had bits and pieces along the way. I knew he had a past. Wasn't sure exactly what it was. Some people who more or less did not like him, had spread a lot of wild rumors about him. Uh, and uh, I, I knew him to be an honest person. He'd helped me out, I had helped him out. And, uh, and at some point we got to actually sit down and start talking about his life. And that was just phenomenal. His son got us together. Uh, we tell that in the intro of the book, sort of how I, Jack came to my attention. And then a, year, a little bit later, how uh, his son kind of pushed us together to start writing the book. His son is a law enforcement officer. Hey, so why don't you do this? Uh, Kyle, can, how, about how much time we have left in this segment? Five minutes. Okay, good. We got, we've got enough time. Why don't you grab the book for a second, David, and, uh, and grab the, the cover and read to me, if you will, that section about, um, about how you and Jack got teamed up. But this was the 1980s and early 1990s, and the I-10 cocaine corridor was in full swing. Interstate 10 runs from Jacksonville, Florida to the, on the East Coast to Florida on the West Coast, passing through Mobile, Alabama, New Orleans, Houston, and numerous smaller cities along the way. While cocaine was coming up from South Florida by the ton, just as much marijuana was coming up from Texas-Mexico border on the same highway. The local papers were filled with headlines of cocaine cowboys getting busted along the interstate, which provided a good living for a young lawyer with ambition like me. Although I'd seen Jack Saltarelli and talked to him a number of times, the first time I got to know the real Bo Jack was outside the George County Courthouse on the downtown square in Loosedale, Mississippi. Loosedale is about 30 miles inland, due north of Pascagoula, where the Gulf Coast ends and the Piney Wood section of Mississippi begins. I had parked on the courthouse side of the square and gone across the street to the Justice Court building for a hearing. Justice Court handled small claims and misdemeanors as well as preliminary matters on felonies. When court was out, I was going back to my car when Jack approached two men in front of me. He called one of them by name and informed him he had a warrant for the man's arrest from down on the Gulf Coast. The man responded, 
you're in George County now. I ain't going nowhere. Jack smiled and answered, yes, you are. The other man responded, I'm his brother. If you fight him, you're going to have to fight me too. Jack smiled, turning to the look, and he said, let's get started. Less than a minute <laughs> later, Jack had the first man handcuffed and was loading him into the car as the other man lay on the sidewalk. That's when I knew Jack Saltarelli was the real deal. <laughs> that's, that's great. You know, what's interesting, I couldn't help but think about John Grisham as you were reading that. Uh, it feels like a John Grisham novel, but it happens to be real. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's the way I, as we as we went through and started to tell his story, my wife had, an art, had a, her um, gallery at the time, the Gilded Pair Gallery. We would meet down there on Saturdays when I was home from Jackson. And in fact, it got to be a joke. I'd say, I'm going down to the gallery to meet the guy about the thing, you know, <laughs> talking about the book. And so we would meet and interview and uh, we would just tell his story for hours. We would sit anywhere from two to six hours on a Saturday, just interviewing and interviewing, write it down. And I would take my notes back to Jackson with me at night when I was there alone, I would just sit and compile it into a book form. And, wow. uh, yeah. you know, it, it was very interesting. And a lot of things that, that I never knew about Jack came out and uh, he dealt with a lot of things he had never talked to anyone at all about in his life. You know, the abusive childhood and that led him to the streets and things like that. Well, so, you know, you think about the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, a place that I spent six and a half months in when I worked for Knight Ritter, the, the parent company for the Sun-Herald. Uh, you were on the streets of that very tough city at the age of eight years old. You were literally living on the streets at the age of eight years old. Um, does that seem like a century you know, ago or does it feel like it could have been yesterday to you? I feel I, I mean, I could go there in my mind like it was yesterday. I still remember sleeping in cars, empty buildings, you know, just for shelter at night, not wanting to go to my house. Yeah, it was just like yesterday to me. So let's go let's go back to, you know, your connection to to David, Judge Ishi. You um so you 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 slowly but surely began to talk with each other. What is it about you about him and your relationship with him that convinced you that this is not only going to be a good friendship, but it could really turn into something that would enable you to tell your story. Well, first of all, telling my story, I wouldn't need somebody like a judge to understand and make sense of it. But uh, we had seen each other many times in the gym, so we had become friends. And uh, my son used to say, uh, when are you going to write your book? And I had intentions of writing it all along, but putting it off. So. We got into a conversation one day coming out of the gym, going to lunch, and uh, I was asked, you know, by my son, well, don't you want to let David write it? And David yeah. said, I don't and I said, well, let's set something up and do it. I don't know what to talk me into that. <laughs> and so the rest is history. So this is Associate Justice from the Mississippi Supreme Court, David Ishi, and his friend Jack Saltarelli. They wrote a book about Jack's life called Bojack When Loyalties Collide. When we come back, we'll start talking a little bit more about the process of writing this book. So we'll see you when we get back from this break. Coast View on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1.
There are so many people in coastal Mississippi making their mark, not just in coastal Mississippi and across the state, but really across the nation. And one of the good things about Coastview is it you know, enables me this opportunity to, to hear their story, to, to understand what their mark is and what their mark might be in the future. Actually, one of the interesting things about this conversation with Judge David Ishii and with his friend uh, Jack Bojack Saltarelli, who, who they co-authored this book about Jack's life. One of the interesting things during the break is that we were talking about, um, up until this point, David had not written a book before. But now he's written either several or they're in various stages of development. I think you said three of them are sort of legal thrillers and one is uh, has to do with the Wild West. But uh, but it's so interesting to hear that now. So, you know, you might might you be the next John Grisham? Well, one can hope. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's sort of a hobby. You know, I'm, I'm in Jackson several nights a week and just looking at sitting alone at night in an apartment, looking at television. I got bored and I read a great deal anyway. And I read a book one night and I, I go through bouts of insomnia. I woke up at 2 a.m. and couldn't sleep. And I said, I can write a book better than the one I just read. And I sat down and started writing this, this historical fiction, this Western. And uh, then I, it dawned on me about the cases I'd handled and been exposed to as a lawyer and a judge. And why don't I go into that? And then that's about the time Jack and I got together. So I put most of those on hold while we worked on BoJack. But uh, I have them at various stages from outline to doing a final edit on one at this point, um, which I'll start shopping to a publisher probably in about a year. Well, congratulations. That's awesome to hear. As I mentioned during the break, Will Denton, who was a local uh, uh, attorney, uh, passed away a few years ago. Terrific guy, really good lawyer. He was a friend of John Grisham's, and he, he had a way of opening his files to John so that John Grisham could sort of get into the throes of some of the cases that Will had been involved in. And it really inspired it really inspired John Grisham, and he gave Will a lot of credit along the way. And, of course, as we now know, several of his books took place right here in Biloxi, which is uh, so interesting. Um, so anyway, coming back to you, Jack, you, you were saying before we went to a break that your son – sort of encourage you to get with David and about David potentially writing your book. Tell me about that. Well, I write too. I've always have and uh, always had this intention eventually write. I knew I had a good story there. Uh, I didn't know if I wanted to write about the past or the current uh, years as a bounty hunter. I've got over 30 of them. But uh, we were at the gym all the time and uh, we got into the conversation one day about it, about writing my story. And uh, David said he'd like to do it, and John, I was still a little wishy-washy about when to get it started. And my son really encouraged that you need to go ahead, Dad, because it, you might never write it. Now, he's ready now. So we started doing book sessions, as he said, and uh, for a brief period, I went to Arizona with my daughters, and uh, while I was there, I would do bullets and send them to David. So that next time we talked, we'd have something, an area to go to, because there was so much. I mean, start. Yeah. So 1990, that was a lot. Well, what's interesting, Jack, is you mentioned, and it actually plays to the way your mind works, but you mentioned that in some ways, it's you have almost instant recall to what it was like to live on the streets at eight years old. So as you one bullet leads to another bullet, leads to another bullet, and then before long, you're, you're beginning to really develop the construct for the book. Um, to what extent was sort of recalling those things painful and to what extent were they sort of redeeming at the same time? Talk to me about that. My whole childhood, when I had to recall it, 
I'll tell you, I actually talk about myself in the book briefly in the third person when I talk about me as a kid. There's pictures in the book of me at eight years old. And it's like when I look at those pictures, I can't imagine what I was going through in them days. But it's not only do I recall it, I feel it. I yeah. feel it. It was a, it, it, I won't say a wasted life because there are a lot of lessons to be learned. But uh, as we went with these bullets, we went through, it was an awful lot of you know, I went through some institutions on the way and stuff like that just for just for running away from home. Yeah. <laughs> I went from institution to institution because we didn't have much of a system back then. And uh, I really didn't want to go back to my home, so I really didn't care. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I have some other books I'm writing, too. We both are launched now. We're on our way, and yeah. which some of the things I missed in that book. And now the future too. I've got thirty years of hunting criminals. Yeah. So, so David, if you were sitting with someone over a glass of wine and they had not seen or read your book, how do you tell them about this book about Bojack? I start out with um, it's a story. It's truly a story of redemption. In fact, that was one of the things when we were deciding on a title. You know, we both wanted the word Bojack. That was his street name during those his outlaw days, and we talked about. Bojack, a story of redemption, uh, and then Jack came up with when loyalties collide, and we think that when you read the book, you'll understand that uh, how the loyalties collided in this, and how he was sold out more than once by people he trusted. Um, as far as that goes, it was um, it was interesting to get into. Uh, as he said, he always talks about his childhood in the third person. You know, that little boy, this little boy, and that was very difficult. That was, you know. We started on that, but then we backed off and did other things and got until we could actually get him to talk about it. Uh, you know, it was horribly, horribly abusive childhood. Uh, that was why he was running away. His mother was savagely beaten by his stepfather, just as he was. And living on the street, well, if you can imagine living on the street, sleeping in cars and stealing to eat is better than home life. You can imagine what the home life was like. Yeah. So, so he, as he grew up, though, uh, the story gets more complicated. Tell me a little bit more about how you would talk about what he did to survive and then eventually sort of aligning with the federal government. Talk to me more about that. Well, he in and out of institutions, it became a way of life and he was not afraid to go to jail. He ended fact he was sent to adult prison at the age of 15. And I always find it ironic that he had been in and out of these institutions. Some of them were as abusive as his home life was. And the judge finally told him, he said, we've done all we can for you. You were sending you to adult prison at 15. And I just thought that that was really a cop out of the system. You know, they'd done nothing to help him. I mean, they had not investigated the home life. They had not pressed charges against his stepfather. They'd done nothing except institutionalize him whenever he was captured or you know found on the street and now they were going to send him off to an adult prison he had to survive there at age 15 we tell the story about his first day there and how he began to make his mark and make a name for himself as as a stand-up guy and not someone to be messed with while in prison and so, so jack so coming back to you for a second so at the age of 15 uh, you heard the way that david referred to you uh, just a second ago but even at that age, did you did you sense that you had an opportunity to survive for many years to come, or were you worried whether you were going to be alive tomorrow? How, I, what was your state of mind? I, I never worried about tomorrow. And even as I progressed into my lifestyle, uh, 
I never thought about tomorrow. I actually didn't think I'd ever make 21. Most people didn't think I would. And uh, so each day was just, that, that was a day to get through. That's all it was. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Jack, and you can relate to this, but when I was publisher in New Orleans, um, I spent a lot of time talking to the mayor about the situation there. And he uh, often reminded me that, you know, we're talking about the kids are the, the kids in, involved in crime are younger than they ever were before. Uh, they have more, uh, they have bigger weapons than they used to have. And they don't have a sense that there's even a tomorrow. They're literally living in the moment. They're not worried about the ramifications of whatever they do. Uh, when you hear a mayor talking about that in these days, you, it doesn't take you long to say, hey, that's the way it's always been for people who are young and caught up in that situation. And it's a very dangerous place to be, isn't it, Jack? It, it is. I mean, like I said, every day is uh, survival. you got to make your mark. And I'll be honest with you, uh, when you read the book, you'll see I, I sacrificed a lot to do all that time. Uh, fighting was just, uh, I didn't mind doing it. And in a lot of cases, it was required to make your mark. To, to get your name, which is where I got the name Bojack, and uh, and but but before even before I went to a state prison at fifteen, I'd been through two earlier uh, institutions, so I was uh, I, I was prepared for it mentally and uh, physically, and uh, no, you, you don't think about tomorrow. It is it's all about today. Just get through today, and you'll get to tomorrow soon enough. Tell me about the name Bojack. You give me specifically. Tell me about the name Bojack. I was always in a lot of fights, so that was given to me when I was in Camp Hill. State presence even on my arm, and uh, it's just uh, it was a name I was. People gave it to me. It was an old fighter. Then there were other circumstances too. Why uh, it just was uh, given to me while I was there. I did about close to five years, and um, it was mostly comprised of survival, fighting, not caring. Uh, if you go there and they tell you, look, if you behave yourself, you can be out here in 11 months to 13 months. Well, the problem with that is I, di I didn't care if I went home or not. And I just, there were no rules for me. I just did what I had to do. As we pointed out in the book, between the ages of 15 and 25, Jack spent eight years, eight of those 10 years incarcerated in an adult prison. Uh, Holmesburg Prison is one that he spent several times in. There's a, a picture of it on our website. It is just a stone cold old prison built before the Civil War. And it's a horrifying yeah. to it. So let, let's do this. We're coming to the end of the segment. I want to talk about, we're not, when we say the, the subtitle, when loyalties collide, we're not just talking about once. We're talking about a series of events that that are that are that really made you question your loyalties towards you. We'll cover that part. We'll be back with uh, Jack Saltarelli and Judge David Ishi after this after this break. And now it's Coast View with Ricky Matthews, brought to you by J. Allen Toyota and AGJ Systems and Networks on Super Talk One Hundred Three Point One FM. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Judge David Ishii from the Mississippi Supreme Court and Jack Saltarelli with us today. And we're talking about their book they co-authored about Jack's story called Bojack, When Loyalties Collide. And what a fascinating story it is. Um, hey, when we went to break, we were talking about 
you know, obviously Jack's story. And you had just made the, the uh, comment, David, just a few minutes ago that uh, of eight of the last, between the age of 15, I think you said 25, the 10 years, eight of those 10 years, he was incarcerated. So Jack, to hear him say that, and again, you didn't you didn't care if you went home or not. In some respects, maybe the prison was a better situation for you than than home. But you 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 just weren't worried about tomorrow. At what point did you feel once you got out that there could be some hope for you in your future? What make what kept you going? Well, if you really wanted a true count, if you started from when I was eight years old, getting in trouble, going through youth study centers, two institutions, to present day. I did almost 15 years of my life, almost yeah. total. Uh, when you talk about when did I start to realize I needed to change, it was actually in a federal penitentiary in Terre Haute, uh, mm-hmm. master's security there. I'd been in Lewisburg, but uh, it was actually there. And in the book, I talk about some of the characters I met because due to a riot in Philadelphia and Holmesburg and all the federal prisoners were all transferred, I ended up in a little town and from there to Terre Haute. And it was like being away from the old neighborhood hoods. Because when you're in it with the same old guys, you're sharing ideas. You're not really uh, getting any better. You're getting worse. You know, you're trading ideas. We get out, we'll do it this way this time. When I went to Terre Haute, I didn't know anybody. So I started out all over again. And I kept some pretty healthy guys around me. Started lifting weights at that time. And actually, the more I got in, I started feeling better about myself. You know, my uh, image, my own image improved. But I had uh, some, some good some, some good contacts there that I hung out with that were, uh, I'll say it was a blessing to listen to them talk to me like they did, because eventually I started to think. And uh, it's in the story, it tells you, I came home, I did great for over a year, painted, went to a, a college and started painting there. And uh, that's where your loyalties collide start to come in. People that I got hooked up later, one is a bodyguard. It was in a drug empire, and I didn't know anything about drugs, but I was a bodyguard for the guy. I learned an awful lot. And uh, as the story goes on, there are other uh, uh, what I call loyalties that were tripped up. And uh, it's this book is designed that it's not hard, or actually it's hard to explain, you know, just in a couple of sentences. You're right. I don't, there's so much involved. Yeah, it's a web. It's a web. It's a complex web. Hey, before I go to David and get him to sort of, in his elevator speech sort of way, talk about the loyalty colliding. I want to come back to you, Jack, and just say, in your time, though, you met some really bad guys, some really, really bad guys. How did you live through that? Well, I, I, I can put it in a nutshell. When you live in the hood, like I did, coming up, and you never leave it. And I mean, I didn't go downtown and live. I was always in the hood. It's, that's your world. Everyone else is doing the same thing. So you think this is normal. Uh, you go to prison, you see all the same guys that's from on the street. Uh, I mean, I met some of the meanest characters there are. John Gotti, Hoffa, they were all up in Lewisburg with me. And so, like I said, that's just normal to you. You know, uh, in Holmesburg, the, a lot of the mafia guys from Philly, they're just like cellmates. They're just normal people. It wasn't until I actually left that place and came south to see a different kind of a world, different kind of people, you know, that I began to loosen up a little bit. What I didn't right away. And uh, 
of just still pretty selective to friends that I have. I really, I, I protect and guard myself today because of what I went through. And yeah. uh, say that with all that history, I've got over 34, 35 years of doing good, reinvesting in, you know, uh, in doing good things. So uh, I just know that I always have to be uh, on my P's and Q's because, you know, it'd be quick for someone to judge me if I made one mistake and it keeps me centered. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting, though, and David, you can respond to this, but it is so interesting to me because I know where you were raised, David. You know, I knew your father. I knew your brother. You have a terrific family in a, in a wonderful community. Then you go over and practice law in Pascagoula and you, you become a municipal judge and you do all the things that you've done. It's, it's your, your life growing up could not be any more on the opposite end of the continuum from where Jack grew up. But then you sort of came together. And yeah. it's interesting to me that you guys bond, formed this bond. It is. It is. Uh, you know, my, I grew up in the same neighborhood basically you did. So our worlds were totally different. And here I am doing criminal defense work, work and I really didn't know what that was like and who these people were. And Jack was sort of a shadow to me at some point. You know, there were times when I needed somebody to watch my back. There were times when Jack was saying, don't talk to this person that way. They don't understand what you're saying. You know, let me let me go with you when you go talk to this person. And, and he was sort of a... Uh, almost a bodyguard to me once or twice. So you're know, dealing with some, with some pretty nasty characters. And uh, I, I would say, I'm taking Jack with me. And, and uh, you know, he, he would watch my back. And he had legal issues over the years, uh, nothing criminal, but the things that I would help him out on. And, we, and then we had the common interest of weightlifting at the time, something I've gotten out of over the years, but he stuck with it. And uh, it was interesting that two people from two totally different worlds could connect. And as Jack was saying earlier about his stretch at Terre Haute, I think that is when he actually began to develop a moral compass. To him, stealing, fighting, living on the streets was just normal. I mean, nobody ever told him that's wrong. You don't, you don't do that. And that was when he first, at Terre Haute, when he was doing time for a federal armed robbery charge, that he actually began to develop a conscience. And, 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 and he, he got away from a lot of violence at that point that he could, tried to go straight when he got out. We tell in the book for various reasons how he, he got drugged back into the life. Uh, and he, he admits freely, Jack's first one to say, don't, don't tell people I'm a victim and I'm whining. I made these choices. I was a grown man. They were bad choices and I made them. And I think that's why he has done so well these last 30, 35 years of his life as a, as a uh, bail bondsman and, and a uh, bounty hunter, that he really did know he accepted his responsibility. It wasn't an excuse. Well, I was an abused child. That's why I did this. You know, yeah, that's how I got started. But I was a grown man making bad choices. Jack, it's interesting that you said before we went to David, you said something like that you bear the responsibility for the decisions that you've made and you could just fall a little bit off the wagon on any of those things and people will just write you off and, and decide that, no, this is the guy that I perceive him to be, that you feel that responsibility. David talked about moral compass, but it is a moral compass actually now that drives you, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm comfortable in my skin now. To myself, I feel like I've given enough back for the mistakes I made. But uh, I, I, when I say I'm comfortable in my skin, this is where I belong. You know, on this side of the element, I have a car, I got a cage in it, transporting prisoners. And I tell people, I sit up there with that steering wheel and I know I'm on the right side of the cage. 
the culprit's in the back behind the cage. So I'm in the right place. And that's a reminder every day when I hope to take him to the jail. And I do it a lot. Well, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good reminder. I don't know that it's necessary now that I've met you because uh, you seem to have really stayed on the on the straight track as it relates to the the story of redemption. And you know, it occurs to me while we're talking, David, and and Jack, I bet you had this thought as well. But one of the okay, it's an interesting story of a man who probably had everything working against him. It was a miracle you even made it out of that lifestyle and to see where you are today. That's that's an important story to tell. But it occurs to me, David, that in your criminal defense work and now as your work as a judge and, and your commitment to the community, I mean, the work that you do outside of your judgeship just to help people get access to justice or whatever it might be, that the story is a good story for lawyers and judges and others to read to say, don't give up on people. You know, don't give up on people. Look at Jack's story. He's a story, is is sort of the ultimate story of redemption. And I think it's one that you should see because we too often, as Jack pointed out, we look for someone to make a mistake so that we can say, okay, that's the way he is. And so we can write him off. The story is about not doing that, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And, and that's one of the things that we in, in, the, in the criminal justice world need to concentrate on. That's why I like so much we have the drug courts, uh, and we're starting the veterans courts and things like that to get people out of bad situations, to show them you're making bad decisions. You know, you're not a bad person, but you're making horrible decisions, and that's leading you to do horrible things. Get them straight. Don't just warehouse them in a penitentiary for 10, 15, 20 years and turn them loose, and then they're a violent person at that point. You know, we can redeem a lot of people. It costs, you know, $25,000 per year to house an inmate. We can put someone through the drug courts or through the veterans courts for about $2,000 a year, and they pay it out of their own pocket because they're required to work and pay taxes to support their dependents while they're in it. And I, I think we need a lot more programs like that to help people. You know, don't just warehouse them in a jail. You know, let, let's redeem them and, and let them become a productive member of society. When we come back, I want to continue sort of the theme of this part of the conversation. What is there to learn from Jack's story? What is there to learn? Because as Jack pointed out, he was on the street, in, in the streets of Philadelphia at the age of eight years old without, without much hope. And too often people who get caught up in the system come from that sort of situation where they, they don't have hope in their, their life. And it, sometimes it's up to the system to give them hope. And I want to talk about that lesson a little bit more. When we come back, we'll have David Ishii and Jack Salterelli. You can also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Thank you for joining us today on Coast View. What a great story this is. The story of Bojack when loyalties collide, a book collaboration between Judge David Ishii and Jack Saltarelli. Uh, it's the story of Jack's life. And you know, it's, I, I personally have not read the book. I look, I've read a lot about it. I look forward to reading the book. I will definitely read the book now. But I love the fact that this is a story of redemption. And you heard what David and I were talking about, Jack, before we went to the break. But uh, is that one of your messages you hope come out of it as well? Not just a story, an interesting story, but one that says, don't give up on people? Yeah, and I was thinking about that when David was speaking about 
Oh, I always said, you know, I always knew right from wrong. But the point is, th there were no services. I never once was ever asked as a kid coming up, why you keep running away from home? In fact, I was stuck with a label called incorrigible. And every time I kept catching the same judge, he'd say, you're just incorrigible. I don't know what to do with you because I was running away from home. No one ever asked me why. And but even though I never blamed it on that, coming back now, uh, in my twilight years, talking about it, yeah, it had a lot to do with it. I had a lot of anger issues and uh, uh, not a lot of hope about tomorrow or where I was going. Uh, it just it just pretty much was that way. Yeah, the, the system had a lot to do with it. And I went into Camp Hill State Penitentiary at 15, incorrigible. Yeah. I didn't charge. It, it's, it's actually quite interesting now to learn what kind of home life you had that people would not want to know more about that. You know, why is this eight-year-old, why is this, well, at the time, 15-year-old, why was this 15-year-old, how, how did he become this person that he is today, and what what is it about his home life that makes him want to leave it? Hey, before we go back over to David, I'm just curious, you said you were writing a couple of books. What are those books about? Well, uh, it, it, to be on the true crime also, uh, when you read this book, and I know you will, as you go through it, there's so much in there that has been done over the years uh, that actually tie into the loyalties collide. Um, I wanted to touch on some things in finer point that comes from this book. So I guess I'd have to say, you need to read this to read this to make sense. Uh, that's one I'm writing. And then I'm writing yeah. another chemist because uh, that's what I was. I was a chemist in an illicit lab. And when I did eventually uh, make a deal with the FBI, we did take down a major lab that was uh, a historical event under the DEA-FBI merger in 82. And that's when they called me back. And when I went back with the government to work for them, I didn't go back as a snitch or worker off a charge. I was clean. I went back for my skills. And uh, <laughs> I should read the book, you see that's another the loyalty colliding, working with the government, doing what they asked me to do, and then uh, setting me up on it. So. so Breaking Bad, the series on Netflix, could have been about you. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could have been about you, Jack the Chemist. I, I would so, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Jack. Jack has turned down the witness protection program twice and has had contracts on his life. The FBI called him in one day and said, we picked up on an undercover agent with a wire, but there's a contract on you from the Philadelphia mob. They know you're on the Gulf Coast. And Jack said, well, let them come. I'm not running. This is my home. And uh, they eventually took the people down. And uh, he, here he is, years later, still alive and kicking. They're all, most of them have died in prison. Well, mate, and Jack, you've, uh, you've, you know, not, not only is yours a story of redemption, but you've contributed back to society and, and an area where you sort of know how people think and knowing how they think sometimes on the, from a criminal element point of view, it helps you be a better uh, bounty hunter, it helps you be a better guard or whatever else you're involved in. Well, my daughter told me that one time her husband asked her, how does he find these people? She said, because he ran for 19 months himself with the Marshal Service, the FBI, uh, and uh, actually I had all warrants all over the place. Everybody was haunting me. She said, so he knows how they think. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Hey, David, coming back over to you, I read some of the reviews on Amazon today. The reviews are terrific. Um, what, what's, the early, uh, what's the early feedback you're getting on the book? It's been tremendous. 
Uh, we had our first book signing a few weeks ago at uh, Martin Myers' gift shop in Gulfport. Kennedy hosted us. Uh, my publisher said, if you sell 10 or 12 books, that's good. If you sell 15 on a first book signing, that's fantastic. We sold 43. Uh, I've had people uh, through Facebook contacting me that I grew up with or knew in college or law school all over the country. You know, where can I get the book? So we haven't gotten our first report yet from Amazon, but I understand it's selling very well on Amazon and Barnes & Noble both. We should get reports from both of them at the, at the end of October on how many. So it, to, to what extent are you tapping into the Philadelphia piece of this story? We haven't really gotten that far yet. We're working on it. We're trying to get some contacts up in Philadelphia. We certainly, uh, we went up there on a research trip while we were writing the book. Linda went with us as our photographer, my wife. And uh, it was an interesting trip. And we, we'd like to make some more, maybe arrange some book signings in Philly. I, I do have, yeah, Jack? Uh, just recently, uh, I, I've got three different people that are from Philly that are getting the book that I know. Uh, yeah. One yeah, one gentleman in the book that we talk about, his daughter wanted to know yeah. the story about her dad. So uh, I told her, get the book, and she's getting one for his son. Well, well, that's good. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think as uh, as this sort of hits the consciousness of people in Philadelphia who sort of know the sordid past of Philadelphia and all that, could be a great market for you guys. But, hey, we're running out of time. I just want to say this. Um, I, Jack, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Congratulations on your redemptive story and, and for having sort of the tenacity to get it down on paper. I know how difficult that can be, having been a publisher for 15 years of my life. And and David, thank you for, for being able to align with someone like Jack and to tell a story that's not only obviously going to be an interesting read, but really projects a story to people in the system not to give up on other people. And that's, that's I think that's a, a really wonderful outcome from this story. So thank you guys for taking time with me. Thank you for having us. We've enjoyed it, as always. It's been it's been great. So this has been uh, Judge David Ishii and Jack Saltarelli, and we've just finished a wonderful conversation about BoJack when loyalties collide. Um, have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.